On this week's show, we are joined by Dr. Seamus Kelly. Seamus is a lecturer in UCD on a range of sports-related courses, in particular, the science of coaching. Today, we talk about organisational structure, again, reflection comes up, and the power of a coach's core beliefs and how they impact on a team. This one goes deep. I really enjoyed it. I hope you do too. Seamus, thanks a million for coming on the show. Uh, just a bit of background. You're a former professional soccer player, former Offaly goalkeeper, so background in both soccer and GAA. Now a lecturer in coaching and management science in UCD. We are actually out here now in UCD, so maybe we'll start there. What's your role and I suppose what exactly is coaching science? Um, thanks. Great to see you all again and delighted to be here. Um, what is coaching or what is management? It's In a nutshell, it's basically... The discipline of coaching is quite new. Um, so, you know, the, the research or the evidence that supports a lot of the theories or a lot of the ways we coach or behaviours and styles is, is still quite new. Um, if you look at some of the, the, the kind of more mainstream stuff, like leadership relates to aspects of coaching. But I suppose the science of coaching is understanding how maybe a coach develops develops an athlete. Okay. So we're talking about, you're not talking about sports specific, you're not talking about uh, person specific, you're talking about how a coach can influence whatever athlete they're, they're dealing with to get better, to be better at a certain skill, to be better at certain sports, or how, how deep is that going in? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of related topics, you know, skill acquisition, uh, motor learning. Um, I'm interested in expert learning or self-regulated learning or, you know, how you, how you develop a, an athlete. Uh, and I think in some of the courses I do, I start off by, you know, focusing on, on I, I get rid of the term the athlete and, and kind of sidestep the word coach. They're humans and, and they have behaviours. Uh, they have a background. They've got mum and a dad that were born somewhere, uh, brought up in a particular environment. And if we don't understand that um, and some of the science or the theories behind that in terms of development, it's going to be very difficult for you to to assist in their growth or development, um, and I think when we start thinking thinking like that, as opposed to you know you know the statistics or, or percentages or, or or stuff like that. I think we can really get to unpack or understand, um, you know their behaviour, um, and you know in, in the courses out here. And some of my own research is, is you're looking at, like, say, identity and where, you, where a player came from and, and, and their values. Um, and how once you understand that, uh, and there's lots of research. If you look at mainstream management, um, and that's my background, is, is a PhD in management. Um, and my undergrad and, and master's was here in UCD in management. Uh, like, if you look at some of the multinational companies or even, you know, smaller companies and their HR department and how they develop and manage employees, you know, and the coaching literature is starting to, or has done, embrace that. Uh, and there are specifics to coaching as well, obviously, you know, hurling is different than, than Gaelic, or, you know, it's doma- there are domain specifics, but I think fundamentally we try and get them to think about that, um, about your background, about your values, um, and who you are, and your identity as an individual not as an as an athlete and and you know that can kind of help understand some of the behaviors that 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 players or athletes adopt okay so you're talking about shifting away let's say from the sport or the skill into actually coaching the person yes absolutely okay so can you give me maybe an example of how that could manifest itself in not necessarily with your own coaching but it, it anecdotally or whatever you may have heard 
Yeah, I remember. I mean, I I I played a lot. Uh, I was very lucky, very fortunate, and I didn't coach that much. Maybe for about five or six years, but when I was coaching um, and working with some of the managers, they might identify an issue with a player, and I might have looked at that issue completely different. So, for example, there was a player who was always making mistakes um, when he was putting the pressure in the full-back position. And so the manager kind of focused on the, the tactics and uh, the technical aspects of the game. And I, I looked at him and kind of was, was observing his behaviour. He was getting very stressed out because, one, he was out of position, but two, he, he just felt that there was a, a microscope on him. So I remember having a chat with him. I said, are you OK? What's the story? Because I knew him. You know, he was a student of mine. How are you getting on? Um, so talk me through. Tell me what happened there. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me what you're feeling. And then the issue went on to like apparent or, or perceived pressure from someone else. Nothing got to do with the game at all. Um, or it could be a problem at home. It could be an issue at school. It could be stuff like that. And that's what I mean by the whole, the holistic aspect of looking at a person and their background and stuff like that because you know you get them for a training session you might only have them for 60 90 minutes that's 60 90 minutes out of 24 hours i mean what else is happening in that person's life you know yeah um it's really interesting that you talk about that sort of stuff do you think that coaching a and the research and is gone that way and, and is professional sport following <clears throat> I think so. I mean, uh, the research is out there. I mean, I'm fascinated with, with managers, football managers. That was my PhD. And, and I studied all the top managers. Uh, I interviewed a lot of the top managers. I interviewed a lot of managers at the lower leagues, interviewed a lot of players. The top, top managers, some of them mightn't have formal qualifications, but they read a lot. They study a lot. Uh, and some of the older, old school you know, skills of management, which are coaching. Like for me, a, man a coach, manager, what's the difference? Well, manager picks the team. You know, you're still, they're still involved in the development. But some of the older skills, like observation, um, the top, top managers are really, really good at that. You know, observing learning, observing development. Um, and maybe, I don't know, maybe we've forgotten that a little bit. Maybe sometimes our head's stuck in a laptop. Maybe too. Nothing wrong with it, but you know that that's that's a that's a classic. That's an old aspect of leadership is observation, um, and it is published. There's some good research on that. Uh, Robin Jones doing some great stuff. Chris Cushion, but we're only scratching the surface. If you look at some of the mainstream management literature, you know, uh, like the research I'm doing at the moment is becoming a manager. Or becoming a coach, you know, you're talking about identity and not just specific roles or skills. It's it's a lot more to that, um, and 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 I think that can help coaches or managers, whatever you want to call yourself, or backroom staff or whatever, you know, perform your role. Um, I think you know, engaging with the evidence, engaging engaging with the research, and read like the, as I said, the top managers they read they read a lot, they study a lot. It's interesting what you say. We had Denise Martin on earlier in the series and she talked about, she's obviously heavily involved in the performance analysis side, but she also talked about that all the analysis in the world is no use unless you use it to affect your coaching and affect how you're getting your communication and your message across. Um, and it's, it's interesting to see here the parallels that you're talking about there where it's being a slightly different framework. Um, how do you think professional sports in particular are going after that or trying to change maybe 
their older systems into into looking at that sort of yeah. sense of it. I mean, I, I've done a, I've done a lot of research. Denise is right. There's big data, right, and then there's expert data. And I've been to quite a few conferences and and looked at. I mean, I've done a really interesting vid, uh, visit at a, a Premiership Academy recently, and they've kind of scrapped it a little bit. They've With the analysis side? Yeah, I mean, so you had, there was there was one spreadsheet, it was 122 or 130 variables. And, you know, there was a new manager came in and he went, okay, what, you know, like, I don't know whether it was, was it Einstein or someone said it? Not everything that can be measured matters. Some of the stuff that matters cannot be measured. You know, so I'll give an example, space on the pitch, creating space, closing space. That's difficult to measure. But yeah, that's more important, I would argue, than past completion, past difficulty. Um, if you look at a player, five minutes into a game, um, poor weather conditions, and he sees a pass, but can he execute the pass? So how do we know he's, he's, he's done both? Or the players that can make it look easy all the time, because they're always looking, you know, visual search strategies and stuff like that, their spatial awareness and stuff like that. But, but sometimes we don't capture that, you know, so <clears throat> stepping up two yards to get someone offside or coming inside a yard. So let's go back to what I mentioned about observation. You know, the top coaches or top managers, they see that. They see those little, little, little shifts in behavior, little shifts in movements. So the question, I mean, we, we raised this and we had a great discussion over in Birkbeck. It was about four or five years ago with Sean Hamill on Opta and the statistics. And we asked the question... Who, who's doing the analysis? Who, who's doing the no notes? What, what's their background? Do we need all that stuff? You know, and sometimes I'd question, you know, for a player, if you're looking at their development, just focus on one thing today. You know, that player that I mentioned, for example, the fullback that was getting stressed, just make sure you can see the number on the, on the center house back. That means you're, all, you're always going to be in position. You're never going to get caught out. Something as simple as that. You need to look over and you, oh, yeah, I am okay now. I'm not opposition. I'm not going to get caught and stuff like that. So maybe it's. I think that I'm not I'm, like stats and data and technology has been brilliant. It's revolutionised sport. But if I'm being critical, you know how much? Where are we going to go with it? Is there too much? Too much money ball type of a, a thing. You see, money ball. I know Bill Gerard well. Like he's a good friend of mine. Like he's money ball man. Like I remember I met him, I met him years ago. He like that's that's not an invasion sport fixed you know and he's done a lot of work on that the application of money ball to, to mm -hmm. team sports invasion sports and stuff like that but some of his teams and coaches might have adopted that and taken that you know but doesn't apply or even taking stuff from soccer and applied it to hurling does it apply it cannot apply you know so being more critical and mm -hmm. um, more discussion and, and being open to new ideas but also like one of the things we have in the course and you were on it like is be very challenge everything challenge and even challenge the stuff I'm saying today people won't agree with it that's fine but at least be open to, to, to criticism say yeah you know that's weak there's not much evidence there there's not much theory there we don't we don't know much about that yet you know I was fascinated with neuroscience five or six years ago and fMRI and decision making and all that stuff so what 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 is that it just tells us so we know which parts of the brain are more activated or less activated but like Robin Jones would always say so what do you know what I mean? Who who cares? What 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 is this technological event? How does that impact a P 
players learning, you know, or development, you know. So, and there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff I'm reading. I I love uh, reading the stats books and the performance analysis and big data books as well you know okay I'm going to have to put you on the spot now Seamus he said he comes back with so what how do we affect learning so yeah. how do we affect learning I think every individual is, every athlete is different right so I mean obviously you look at the technical and technical aspects okay so are we going to tell the athlete that are they going to figure that out themselves how do we encourage an athlete or an individual to learn to, to be self-critical, not too self-critical or too perfectionist, but actually to be able to self-assess a reflection, obviously, in, in your previous podcasts. You know, there's, there's, a, there's an academy, a different academy, and, and the players do a little bit of homework. What went well, what didn't went well. So, you know, you look at some of the research by Zimmerman or, or Tinky Touring and stuff, and Zim, Zimmerman, expert learning. You know, and if you look at some of the multinationals, how they develop that, to become an expert. So what's an expert learner? It's someone that looks to self-reflect and become better. So you, then you break down maybe components of the performance. It could be components of the behavior. And you're looking to modify that or, or change that. But that's, that's more powerful if it, if, it's, if it comes from the person themselves. You know, self-awareness is huge. Um, as opposed to being told that, you need to do that. You need to do that. So you're talking about trying to empower the players to, to, to improve themselves? Yeah, yeah. And can you give me sort of maybe, how, how can like a coach listening now try and bring that into his own sport or whether it be a team-based or individual-based? How can, is there any practical thing that they can take from that to try and help their players do that? There's loads, there's loads. I mean, I'll send you some of the stuff and you've covered a lot of it. Like self-reflection is huge, you know, during a game or after a game. Feedback is massive. Uh, your your style of leadership is different. Everyone's individual. Um, Eileen Gleeson's done some fa uh, fabulous research on decision making, and she's looked at a you know a self confrontational interview. It's just basically a way of showing a player a, a passage of play from a game. But instead of actually the types of questions you ask the player is completely different. You know, so say it's a clip. And rather than the coach tell them, you should have done that, or you could have done that, say, okay, see this here, do you remember that? Yeah. What happened there? What was going through your mind? What were you thinking? What were you seeing? What were you feeling? You know, so go back to the example with the fullback. When I asked those questions to him, he gave me different answers. You know, his school problems, he he college problems, he maybe girlfriend problems or whatever. So Eileen's done a lot of research on that. There's some great research in Cardiff Met on that as well. I'll send you some of the papers. They're short, they're sharp, but it's just reframing, you know, and, and the role of questioning is, is hugely powerful. And when you ask different questions, you get different answers. You know, so maybe if you go back to the coaching literature and coaching behaviors and leadership style and stuff like that, maybe unpack that a little bit and maybe, you know, how many times have you asked an open-ended question to a player as a group and we've all done that I do it in class you ask a question the heads go down what about using the one minute feedback I use that the whole time like that came from Professor Rand Burke in the School of Business the one minute paper what did you like with today's class what did you not like what would you like to know more about so that's your one minute feedback yeah that's how you do it stuff it could be stuff like that 
it could be you know tap into maybe different methods of like getting to write it down you know uh, so now what can you do from that and, and you know that's how you can get them to develop those you know the, the, these these skills to actually you know and you, you, although you got to be careful now you know i mean you don't want to you got to be very careful and you kind of drip feed it in because some players will become extremely self-critical mm-hmm. and you don't want that either so i think practically i would always suggest you have like a someone with like a psychologist or something like that to actually you know if you're looking at interventions and stuff like that someone you know with, with qualifications and background to that but any coach can start thinking about the questions they ask and how they ask them and see what happens okay and you find it that well, I found it myself my own coach and you find that if the players can come up with the solution themselves it's 10 times yeah. more powerful than 20 training sessions Absolutely. if they're being told what to do so that's problem based learning and that's scenarios and I, I think I did a talk at a conference once and a, a hurling coach came up to me and asked me how can I use that and I said well okay he's the girls they're under eights he said can I use that and I went okay try this ask the girls can they come up with a new free kick or a new goal kick or a new puck out and see what they come up with and then he emailed me about a month later and he was like oh my god we've got we've got all these new plays we've got all these new you know scenarios or what ifs or you know, we're a goal down, we need a point, uh, or a sideline ball and stuff. And I, he said, I never even thought of it like that, you know, because he was the one coming up with the, and telling them, but because it's your own, your own idea or your own idea, it, it, it's yours and you'll embrace it and you'll, you'll understand it and, and you'll, and, you, and you'll, you'll enact it, you'll remember it. I mean, yeah. you feel, even at, that young, they were only, they were only, I think it was six or eight or something like that. And it was fun. It was excitement. Right, girls, I want you to come up with a, a, a 45. We need to get a score. Any ideas? I tell you what, go home and think about it. Come back the next day. We'll, we'll, we'll try it and we'll practice it. Now, I've seen, I've seen that being performed with a, with a premiership club. I was over there for a couple of days and watched them. And that's what they were doing. That's all they were doing. Scenarios. They didn't call it scenarios. They didn't call it problem-based learning. But as I was watching that, I mean, that's the theory behind that. That's what he's doing. That's very clever. Okay. You know? And, and go back to your question about opposition analysis. And they all do it. So what they had done, they, they'd identified maybe one or two weaknesses. And then they went back to the players and said, right, over to you. Give me a couple of ideas of how we can tap into that or take advantage of that. You know, and off you go and practice it. Like I think Eddie Jones, like some of the, it's it's quite popular. It's quite popular in rugby now. Um, I think the Dubs do it. I don't know for a fact, but I just look at some of the, the stuff they do. Like uh, it almost looks like it's 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 planned, or, but it's it just looks so smoothly. Do you know? Yeah. They set it up, then they go again. They set it up, and you go again. Yeah. So I suppose all that we've been talking about there is sort of trying to create the like a, a player that can think make decisions and be a critical sort of thinking player um, do you think that that is something that we should be striving for in all sports from an early age absolutely um, and as well as then as in how do we actually do that you've mentioned questioning yeah. you've mentioned um, giving them scenarios is there anything else we're missing I did a masters in teaching and learning no it was postgrad uh, in teaching and learning after my PhD and I absolutely loved it and it's all the coaching literature it's all learning literature you know so i used to like 
when I was lecturing, it'd be like you go in and you might say, I, I, I'm not sure the class are too interested today. And then I started doing the course and they said, well, have you ever challenged why they're not interested? Maybe because you're boring them to death and you're 50 slides. And then they go, and I was very defensive. Like, I was like, no, no, I'm like, and I went, okay, hang on. And then I learned about social constructivists and constructive learning and all these theories of learning. And I was like, wow, that's the way to go. So last week we did a class and it was just a sheet of paper with three questions. And then as opposed to 50 slides, you ask them a question, they answer it, uh, you put them into groups, they, they develop it, they answer a little bit more, you mean example, they develop a little bit more, you swap around, and before that's an hour. And then you go back up and you show them the slides. So th what you've just done is you've come up with your answer to the problem, which is pretty much close to what the literature was suggesting. And then they look at that and go, ah, and that's a different way of learning. And why can't you can use that? You can use that in any sport. Yeah, and having been in some of your lectures before, I've you've uh, done the same thing to us as well. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you were bored as well. I mean, there's, no, 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 we've no, all no, good no, days no, and bad days. No, we wouldn't be back now if we were bored. <laughs> um, so I suppose um, another thing I wanted to touch on with you, um, because I know you speak a lot about it in terms of uh, culture and how people create, and I know you've touched on a lot of the points there. I suppose yeah. in terms of how we create a good culture, but what I find is now there's so much stuff out there that talks about culture, but probably not referring to what my understanding of culture is yeah. and, and how we promote a, a, a good culture yeah. so maybe you start by explaining what exactly culture is in a sort of yeah minute. I mean the, the, the academic you shine the work of like values shared values beliefs understanding their behaviours I'll give you an example rather than going to the academic literature and I've been studying culture a long long time and you know how you change it, how you manage it, like it's 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 difficult to change. It's it's shared. It's it's a pattern of behavior. It's beliefs. So I remember uh, a friend of mine. He was involved with a team, um, and he said, "I'm not sure. I'm not sure Shay they get it or understand." I said, "Understand what?" He said, "Understand our, our, our game plan." I went, "Okay." He said, "Well, you come down and have a look at a few sessions." But Jay Grant went down, and I, I stood in the gantry, and I went, "Yeah, you're probably right." I says, who came up with the who came up with that? And he went, Well, this is this is kind of my philosophy, this is my approach. He said, Well, have you asked them? So we did a session and we, we so we asked them two questions. Who are you? Or what are you? Right? So what I was trying to do was to tap into their background, where they were from, you know, their upbringing, um, in school, in college, in work, and they and they threw down loads of words. You know, you know, and and we modified that, and we grouped them and clustered them, and did a lot of analysis on that, and then we figured out that the game plan didn't actually match who they were or what they were, so their style of football, and who they were in terms of their identity and their culture and their values didn't match the philosophy. So was that Shaden? It was like a manager or a coach saying, "This is how we're going to play football," yeah. but it didn't match. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Can you expand on that a tiny little bit? It's a bit, bit like say you know the the tick attack of football. Yeah, but we're not tick attack. We're Irish. Okay. Kilkenny play a style of foot hurling. Yeah, but we're not Kilkenny. As you can probably gather, I'm from Offaly. We played a style of hurling back in the day. You know, completely off the cuff. Um, so, 
if I was going into a team, that's the first thing you'd be trying to identify is like who they are, what they are, you know, their previous coaches, their previous managers, what worked, what didn't work. But I'd, I'd be bounced it back to them. Um, look at, say, Leinster, a great example of a checker, you know. Um, and I've spoken to a lot of the players who, who run in that team and I'm really interested in his style of leadership. He changed a lot, but you had to. You know, and some of the behaviours didn't conform to the norm or weren't acceptable. I mean, you hear all this thing about sweeping the, the, the dressing room, you know. And then the other thing is, yeah, but we lost the game. But I think culture, like if you get a shared understanding and belief, but you also have to have confidence, you also have to have a self-concept, you know. And if you understand identity and self-concept and you bring it all in, it's not just, culture alone is not enough. You know, you look at the multinationals. On one hand, you say, yeah, it's a high-performing culture. How do you maintain that? You know, but it, it's not always as rosy as that behind it. Like the All Blacks is the one they all talk about. That's the classic one. You know, first layer, second layer, you know, like the iceberg, and then what's underneath the layer. But if you want to understand the All Blacks, go to the school system in New Zealand. And have a look at how they learn, how they learn the game. Have a look at their background. Have a look at their environment. Where are they from? There's a great video. I might have shown it in class. Um, um, and it talks about that stuff, you know. We're farmers, we're fishermen, we're rugged, we're tough. Um, and in the education system, the style of rugby then reflects that maybe. So they've taken, let's say, the, their identity as being from New Zealand and embedded it right throughout their school system, right throughout, up into their senior rugby team. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there was a, the I've read like I've read all the books, and um, I've spoken to people who are involved at rugby at professional level, and and they've said this. They've said similar. It's it's much much deeper than that. It's much deeper than that. You know, go and figure out and 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 look into New Zealand. Look into the history. Now the other side of it as well as well. They're they're under serious pressure. They're expected to win now, but like give me an example. Like it, it could be a junior C hurling team. And an awfully it could be intermediate camogie girls on it like you can't just go in and start and plant your philosophy on that and expect it to work overnight it's going to take time so there has to be a bit of bit of leeway and stuff like that you need to know where they come they come from their background and i think that's you know if you look at a lot of the research we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that you know so for example why do multinationals spend so much money on hr on recruiting, I, I could be wrong, but like some of the some of my friends who've worked in HR and multinationals, you could have seven interviews, or seven different tests, or seven or eight, before you actually get to meet someone. Do you know what I mean? In soccer, you could sign a player, and you mightn't even see them. You just read the scouting reports or looked at the statistics. You know, if you go back, there's a paper by um, Anita Elbers. It's worth reading, and I'm fascinated, obviously, with Ferguson and that, and 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 she talks about uh, Ferguson's formula. And what we know, or what we're beginning to find out, is that he'd been going over to Harvard for years. She sent me the case studies. There's a ton of case studies on on Alex Ferguson, and Alex Ferguson would have done so much work into the background of a player. I know a lot of clubs do, but a lot of clubs don't. 
So what do you mean by the background, Seamus? Obviously, they're going to have their skills report or their yeah. physiological, like yeah. their height and their weight and yeah. their top speed and stuff. Yeah. We, we did a lot of research on this and we I engaged with the international management culture, induction and fit. And that's what it is. Okay, explain that explain to me. Explain that. Okay, I'm a manager of a team. Mm-hmm. I see a player. I think, yeah, I want him. Position-specific data. I have all that stuff. Yeah. Is he going to fit into my team culturally? What are his values? Where's he from? What's his upbringing? What's his behaviour off the field? What does he get up to in his spare time? Can we observe or can we... What's the? Because there's always risk involved. There's always an element of risk. But can he... What's he like as, as a team player? You know, if you look at professional soccer, there's friends of mine, they're still playing. Um, they mightn't play that much, but they're great in the dressing room. And they police the dressing room. And they, they you know, if someone's stepping out of line, they, they, they bring them back into line. And that's what I mean by that, that culture, your induction, your, your, your brain to it, and then your fit. You know, if you look at the international HR literature, it's, 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 there's loads in that. Sport hasn't touched on that that much. Um, there's a couple, there's a bit of papers on that. I remember, um, I think I saw something, it could have been you, showed it to me, the uh, Popovich in the NBA. Yeah. yeah. He's was Absolutely. way ahead of his time in Absolutely. terms of he was going for the person yeah. that would fit the team the way yeah. they played and they don't play it's not sexy basketball but it's fundamental basics yeah. and they're very 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 successful with it give me 15 players on that same wavelength that are 5 or 6 out of 10 and give you a 5 or 6 out of 10 each week I would probably argue you might outperform over 30 games getting 15 9 out of 10 players unless that's right it's fascinating though because like we don't hear about this sort of stuff. It's all about the oh, the manager's a great tactician or the manager or the coach or whatever it may be. But behind all those successful teams, sorry, the teams that have sustained success, yeah. it seems to be there's a much deeper understanding of, of how those players interact with each other and, and work together. Yeah. And I I like I don't know and it's only an opinion, but you look at Jim look at the dubs. Who he's brought in, who he's not brought in. Who he's played, who he's not played. And you would know more than me. You look at uh, Kilkenny when they're on a roll. And every like it, it's very difficult to perpetuate it. It's it's for this to, 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 to last. And Ferguson is probably one of the, And the game has changed, obviously. But he would have done so much homework on his players. not Nothing to do with the game. And there's, there's some... Martin Roderick has done some really interesting research on that. You know, how coaches will, you know, I don't know, will are aware of that. But I think all the top managers and all the top coaches know that stuff. Now, they probably don't call it cultural induction and cultural perpetuation and, and all these kind of fancy words we do because we do the research and read up on it. But that's what they did. Um, and did he do problem-based learning? Yeah. Did Ferguson do reflection? Yeah. Was he key at observation? Absolutely. Did he use disciplined lances all the time? You know, and one of, one of his earliest, it was actually by accident, one of his assistants said, will you stop putting down the cones? That's my job. Let's go back up there and he went up to the hill. And he went, oh, I can see everything up here. I can watch everything. And he started to watch everything in the dressing room. And he started to watch everything off the field. You know, and it's not, it's it's only just a, like, it's a big, building the team and maintaining the team is a jigsaw. There's a lot of pieces. It's only one piece. The opposite, though, you've got to like. There is a certain level. At that level, 
you would expect tactically and technically be up to up to scratch and this is the little things you know mm -hmm. that kind of like you know make that work or not work but like all you want is, is one bad egg or one bad instant and it destroys a dressing room yeah and i suppose if if people are listening now and thinking whatever team that they may be involved with or individual that they may be involved with are there any and I know this might be a stupid question, but are there any go-tos to creating that sort of uh, culture within, or, or does it have to come, is it context-specific for every single different group? I don't think so. Go back to who we are. We're, we're humans, we're behaviour, so we're, you know what I mean? Forget the sport for a minute. How do you put a group of 15 players or 11 player, or eleven people together? You know, your bonding sessions, you get to, I get to know you, you get to know me, we start to relate to each other, we form a bond. There's trust. I'm fascinated with organizational trust. You know, levels of trust. Uh, trust is a person. Trust is a player. You know, and you that you know, and then you're, you're It's basically relationships you're you're focusing on. Teams sometimes have shared leadership groups. Some some teams would have, you know, a leadership group of five, and they they manage the team or manage the dressing room, and there's, there's that communication between the players and 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 the, and the manager or coach. Um, I've I've been involved with team bonding sessions. Some went on, a little bit on for weekends and stuff like that, and some are. Uh, but I I think it's about building relationships and building trust, um, on and off the field, uh, and every manager has or every coach has their own way of doing that, um, and it's not it's not nights out, it's not nights out. It could be here's a swerve ball for you. I know one manager. And his team bonding session is basically problem-based learning scenario. And went, right, you're you're sitting in the opposite dressing room now. I want you to come up with their game plan to play me. Give you an hour, break them into threes or fours, that kind of stuff. And he'd rotate it, so you'd have defenders and attackers. Would you know normally it's not defend. You'd mix it up, mm -hmm. and you get to work with it like so. And this this team was was multicultural. And one of the fullbacks didn't even had never spoken to the striker, so he, he mixed them up and you know little things like that, like you know. But yeah. the ultimate goal there was a, there was a goal. It wasn't a meaningless. There was there was it there was a lot of learning went on there. It was to come up with a with a game plan to play them, but they came up with it, and it was just his way of of doing it, you know. Yeah, and would you say then? So is the coach or the manager? You talk about values and stuff like that a lot. Uh, so does his coaching philosophy and his values? need to match the group he's with or does he have to adapt his to coach or are you hoping for a bit of both i think a bit of both i think the, the biggest thing um so i'll give an example of a, of a manager and he asked me to come in and give him a dig out and i said to him your values do not manage do not match that style of play and your leadership style does not match what you say your philosophy is. He said, what, what do you mean by that? I said, with 10 minutes to go, and when that happened in the game, you flipped and you went off went off the wall. Now you've told the players you would adopt this style of leadership, this style of play, yet your behavior changed completely when you were put in like stressing up, when you were stressed out or put in a situation where you were confronted with loss or confronted with a, a negative. So. That creates uncertainty for me as a player or an athlete going, oh, he says he's, or she says they do that, but they're not really like. So I think there's a bit of, but I think to answer your, 
to answer your question be really really open so we're doing this we're doing that actually tomorrow with the with the master group we're looking at coach identity and athlete identity and the exercise we do with them it does take them out of comfort zone who are you and what are you as a person what are you not what do you want to be what could you be okay so now we've that and then we start building in the values and okay because your coaching philosophy says you you athlete centered player empowered all this kind of stuff give me three examples when you've done that show me right so a person might a coach or manager and not out of any malice or so might say that this is my coaching philosophy but their actions are actually saying something different yeah and you know what I, I've interviewed at this stage maybe 50 managers um, and probably about over 50 players more far more and they know the one thing that the, you know the biggest um, thing or aspect of management that noise is is um, is the biggest thing is equity so what I mean by equity is in, in fairness and how you treat the players, you know, so he treat one player differently than the others. Then the other players will see that and go. But also equity in terms of, you know, they've they've said that or fairness in terms of this is what we set out at the start to do. Now you've changed. You're not the person that we, we thought you were, you're not the person that, you know, so you've lost the dressing room. And it's very hard to get back, I'd imagine. I don't, once you lose the dressing room, you're finished. But it's funny, another manager I, I worked with, uh, how do I phrase this? He didn't know he lost the dressing room. Okay. And I was fascinated with that. Because I, I, I could look at the clicks in the dressing room, I could look at the how they reacted to certain things. Um, and he didn't know that. So he's totally out of touch. Maybe or maybe he didn't 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 own up to it. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah. So go back to self awareness. You know. Yeah, it's interesting what you say there. Um, we have Matt Wilkie on from the IRFU, and he's in coach development and the process he uses in terms of uh, assessing coach behavior. Yeah. By videoing them and and micing them up, but also looking at the reactions of the players yeah. to that person. Yeah. And it, rather than him saying this is what you did wrong he lets the coach watch yeah. everything and then they have a discussion on what the coach found yeah. and I suppose it ties in with everything you've been saying that in terms of the research and, and what happens in practice yeah. maybe the top guys were doing it without knowing what it was called but yeah. it all comes back to how they, they communicate and that sort of relationship that they build with the players absolutely and there's, there's a lot of research on this and, and, and this I'm fascinated with observation of learning observation for learning so that club, I was at a club recently, it's probably the best learning environment I've ever seen. Coaches observe coaches coaching and then you rotate it. And it's all videotaped and stuff like that. And it's very time consuming, it takes a lot. And it goes back to like, I remember when I was doing that um, diploma in teaching and learning, I had to be videotaped. And we hated like, because I don't speak like that, I don't do that. I don't coach like that. But it's the observation, the coaching observing the other, the coach coaching, and that coach that's observing also observing the players. That's that for me is is where it's at. Yeah, that was a big standout for me because I've like you've seen let's say in coach education you talk about mentoring or yeah. or, or and looking at someone coaching and then giving them feedback yeah. afterwards and stuff. 
but I don't think I'd ever heard someone say looking at the player's reaction yeah. as well yeah. and how powerful that can actually be if yeah. you relate that to the coach. At that club then they took some of the players out and they got the player to observe the coach who, who was the coach who was observing the coach coaching. Okay? So I was like, and I asked him, what are you doing there? And I, We don't know exactly, but we have an idea that it might impact either the player's behaviour or the coach's behaviour. But we don't know yet. So that, that's this kind of stuff they're trying out, you know. But that's mad that they're actually at such a high level trying new yeah. things and what, not afraid to experiment. What was interesting, though, that the player that they took out, he saw a completely different game then. Do you know what I mean? So, you, like, it's it's the perception or the view you take. or, or the, like, So what are, what was he looking at? You know, go back to Eileen's research. That's really interesting. Like she, and that's what she's doing. What do you see there? What do you not see there? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? Talk me through that. And like some of the, she's published some of that. Some of the the, the data or the feedback you get from from athletes when you ask them a question. God, I, I didn't even even think of that. You know. Um. But I think I like that research. I think it's really interesting on on observation and leadership and observation of learning and for learning and stuff like that yeah but what i really like uh, from the conversation is that you're drawing on all the research but you're giving it in a practical way that people can actually yeah apply and i yeah. think sometimes a lot of people think in terms of academics that uh, the research is over here on one side but the practical application is so far removed from that but i think what coaching the coaching sort of research is quite getting good at is yeah. trying to actually bring a practical output from the research if yeah. that makes sense absolutely and I think you know there's, there's research for research purposes and there's research for practical application of research and, and it's getting there it's a new field yeah. relatively new in comparison to the older disciplines but uh, it's it's definitely getting there and there's some really really good stuff out there I'll send you on some of the good like it's really really good and, and you do realise every time you say I'll send you on some of the good stuff everyone listening is going to want the same stuff Shame right, so okay. prepare for your Twitter to be inundated <laughs> now uh, with all this stuff but there's some really there's some like and I have I have my foot more in the research than I have in the practical because obviously it's important but there needs to be evidence to support what you're doing and, and see the reflection stuff okay uh it's brilliant stuff. But I know a team, and I've seen it happen, where they are reflecting on reflecting. Paralysis right? by analysis. Absolutely. And, and it's lost its value. So it's, it, And there's some great stuff on feedback. How often, when, how much. But like this team were reflecting on... Like they'd lost total paralysis. Thinking about thinking. So what does that do? I'm not a psychologist, but like if like, look at Anya McNamara's stuff or Dave Collins' stuff, it's brilliant. That can stress athletes out to be like, you know, you're thinking too much then about the game. Yeah. But yeah. the thing about reflection is, if you look at the theory, that one of the last steps is that's it, it's over, it's finished. And you don't do that. But how often, when in this particular, when this particular environment that they use reflection, they forgot the last step. Which is that you know it's over, and that's really important. Like uh, the steps and the model that's that's actually utilised appropriately. Otherwise, you'll have that thinking about thinking. Yeah. So how do we use it appropriately? 
okay, the reflective cycle, I'll send you some more stuff. Uh, <laughs> and you look at the steps. Okay, I made, I made a bad decision. How are you thinking? Pretty poor. What could you have done? I could have done A and B. What did you do? I went with B. Grand. If it happened again, what would you do? I'd go with A. End of story. Finished. Move on. Okay. And that's it. Yeah. And keep it to that either incident or what you're trying yeah. to rectify. It's yeah. the key. I think key there. Yeah. What could you have done? Right. Now, Eileen's research is really good. But the feedback from the athletes that did the interviews were, God, we've never been asked those questions before. It's really, really good. But it's like, yeah, they were my three options. So I was a goalkeeper, right? I, m- I messed up, and I did. I messed up a lot. made a lot of mistakes. What could you have done? There are your options. I went with C. If it happened again, I'd go with A. Great. End of story. Move on. Okay. I think that's good because I don't know how many people we've had on when we all talk about reflection, but I suppose getting right down into a, a real practical way of actually doing it is, is, is very useful. Um, James, I'm very conscious of time. You've been brilliant with it so far. Uh, I could stay here all day chatting. Um, we have three questions that we ask everyone as we finish up. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. And um, what does the term successful coach mean to you? Successful coach is... There's two things I probably would say, and one of the best managers I ever had, ever had, he said, my job is to make you, at the end of training, looking forward to the next training session. I thought that was brilliant, and I never thought, that was the first time I really got interested in management, and he was Cardiff City Manager. The other thing is about your ability to, 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 to help an athlete develop as much as they want to be, and what they want to be not what you want to be and I think they're the two things now if that if that athlete goes on if, if success so it's process oriented it's not outcome oriented that's your job and obviously a smile on your face as well yeah. you don't get that in soccer though because it's cutthroat it's rootless it's results and, and so you kind of lose that but the really good managers in, in, in soccer they don't get caught up in that they're really really good it's individual it's personal it's specific and it's about them developing the person as well as the as the athlete. And as you mentioned earlier, as the, at the higher level, you sort of expect the technical and technical to be there. Should anyway. be there, yeah. Not always. You'd be surprised, but like the top man. If you look at the, the everyone talks about Klopp and Poch, uh, Fergie, Guardiola. Guardiola's tough. Like they're all tough. I'd say Jim Gavin's tough. I'd say Schmidt is tough. Cody's tough. You got to be tough. You know. It's not an easy position to be, but I think what they're—I think you know—they're all good at, at at getting the most out of their players. We don't know how or fully, but I I would argue a lot of it is very individualist, individualized, um, a lot of empathy and care, um, and that balance between care and fear, you know. Yeah, so that they don't. You're not a pushover. No, and but you're also know that they actually care. Absolutely, yeah. I think that's a big thing, and that's that's when you get your respect and trust. Do you know, yeah. you get it back in spades. Yeah. But okay. the thing about it is, is that some people will mistake some athletes or players. I'm talking soccer more so. Will mistake that for a weakness. You know, and that's an issue you got to manage carefully as well. Yeah, and I suppose that comes back to the culture and the values that if you can build that culture and values within a group that you would hope that that perceived weakness will sort of fade yeah. away. Like the, read the book Leading by Alex Ferguson or the, uh, the, 
the book uh, Silent Leadership by An- Ancelotti. Like, they're probably the two best examples of leadership in soccer. But read Ancelotti. Um, the author's coming over here soon to give a guest lecture. Um, Silent Leadership is the book. It's absolutely brilliant. Or the book Leading, Alex Frank. There's so much gold dust in that. Do you know? Okay. Well, that's a perfect segue. It's like you're reading me notes here, Seamus. Uh, the best books, resources you'd recommend to any uh, aspiring coaches listening? Um, there's one book I always recommend. It, it's The Power of Habit by Charles Tuhick. There's a lot of evidence, a lot of research in it, um, but it's very well written and there's loads of sport examples, but it's, it's, it, 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 it starts to explore um, behaviour and habits and stuff like that. It's really interesting. Um, as you can see from my bookcase, I, I love autobiographies. Uh, I'd go back to that one leading. Alex Ferguson's very good. Um, I'd also encor- encourage coaches to go into like the Hodges Figures or some of those bookstores and look at non-sport textbooks or non-sport books. Um, and maybe focus on identity or self-concept. There's loads of books on that and loads of research on that. Self-concept and identity. That will give you a different angle of you, un- understanding. Yeah, do you think by not, not looking at a sports-specific book that you get a sort of a, maybe a more objective view and stuff? I don't know. The sport books are great. Don't get me wrong. They're absolutely brilliant. But like I like when we looked at the research with Eileen, and we looked at decision making like we we were looking at firefighters we were looking at pilots we were looking at different or different different stream of research altogether uh, if you look at learning and you're looking at coaching and skill acquisition and motor learning look at look at a different type of learning look at expert learning or self-regulated learning and look at what that looks like and that's a you know it's a different different Sorry. aspect of yeah of of learning if you know what i mean just to broaden your horizons i suppose yeah yeah um and look last question your top tips for a developing coach oh be critical um be honest not too critical i'm contradicting myself (laughs) um be honest is the first one um, be fair the second one and the third one is I would say have a support network that will facilitate critical thinking and that will allow you to challenge your coaching and what I mean by that is you don't want yes men or yes people and I've seen that I've been in environments where that happens and you don't learn you don't develop okay I think that's a, a really good note to finish up um, Seamus again thanks you've been brilliant with your time honestly could have sent here another couple of hours but we would have had to divide the podcast up into a couple of episodes uh, we might have you back um i think there's loads in that like um the way you bring the research into practical applications uh, you talk about coaching the person and, and continuous learning especially by the coaches at the top the power of observation and and how we actually affect learning through like self-assessment and the use of questioning i think i can't that's it's come up an awful lot but i think you, you explained it really really well but the big one for me is just the values and yeah. your own values and how you bring that <clears throat> into a group and um, so thanks a million for coming on thanks for listening to the coaching bubble and i hope you learned something to help you with your own coaching 
please follow us on Twitter at Bubble Coaching, where we will put any books or resources mentioned on the show up on the page. You can now subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and SoundCloud and feel free to get in touch with any feedback. We'd love to hear from you. As always, the show is produced by Niall Williams and the Coach Education Centre of the Camogie Association. Thanks for listening.